Thank you, Rachel. Good morning. My name's Scott Grant, and I'll be bringing the word to you from Exodus this morning. Before we do that, I want to take a moment to recognize Memorial Day, which is tomorrow. I was talking with Dave Thorne last week. Dave is our recovery director, and he told me, I didn't know this, that his father was killed in World War II in the Pacific Theater. So that gave me a little more of a personal connection to Memorial Day. So I've been reflecting a little bit the last few days, and I'd like, to take us, uh, like for us to take a moment here at the outset to uh, pray. Lord, we thank you uh, so much for those who have served and those who have fallen. In many ways, I think we can see ourselves as uh, here today because of them. So thank you so much uh, for their service, their sacrifice. We remember them, we honor them today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tomorrow is not only Memorial Day. Today also is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? You do that. All right. That real Pentecost Sunday right there in the front. Pentecost Sunday celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in the first century, and the Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, third member of the Trinity, poured out on the church. And so we remember that. Uh, today on Pentecost Sunday. And in memory of that, in recognition of that, we're eventually going to get to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we see it in the New Testament. But first, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, as has been our practice here for quite some time. So before we do that, I want to tell you about a song that I sang when I was in youth group. When I was in a church youth group, we sang this song called, Have You Seen Jesus My Lord? It was written by John Fisher, who was a member of this church at the time, and the song suggested that Jesus was here in plain view, and that all you had to do to see Jesus was to take a look and open your eyes. Well, is that true? Can you see Jesus? Is all you have to do, open your eyes, take a look? The answer to the question is significant. Because, according to the New Testament, seeing Jesus, even seeing the face of Jesus, is an important component of us becoming more like Jesus. In other words, if you see Jesus, if you behold Jesus and appreciate him, you are going to become more like Jesus. So, it's an important question. But I have to tell you, as I look around, I'm looking real hard I'm taking a look, my eyes are open, but I do not see Jesus. So what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna look in the scriptures. We're gonna look in the scriptures and see what we can see. Does anybody remember the old children's song about the bear that went over the mountain? Eh, a couple of The bear went over the mountain to do what? To see what he could see. My father used to sing that song to me all the time. He would put me on his back and carry me around and sing the bear went over the mountain. To do what? To see what he could see. So we need to behold Jesus. We're going to look in the scriptures to see what we can see. Let's look at Exodus chapter 34. But before we do, a little context for Exodus 34 at the end. You know that if you've been with us, that Moses has led the people out of bondage in Egypt into the wilderness, and in the wilderness they were supposed to worship God, and then Moses went up to Mount Sinai, heard from God, spent 40 days, 40 nights up there, came back with the Ten Commandments. God wrote the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, on these two uh, uh, stone tablets. Moses comes down from the mountain, and then he sees that in his absence, they have fashioned this golden calf. He sees the calf, and he sees them dancing, the people of God dancing around this golden calf in pagan revelry. 
He is appalled. He throws the stone tablets down at the foot of the mountain. They shatter, and the covenant that God made with his people is shattered. It is broken. Moses, however, makes uh, intercession. He goes back up onto the mountain, and the covenant and the partnership is renewed. So Moses comes down from the mountain a second time with a new set of commandments. Actually, they are the same commandments, obviously new stones. And the narrative leaves us at the edge of our seats wondering what is Moses going to come and find this time when he comes down and comes down to the bottom of the mountain. Last time, he saw a golden calf. What's he going to see this time? Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. And as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Okay, so this is different. Moses' face wasn't shining the last time he came down from the mountain. Now it's shining. So why the change? Well, think about the context here. Moses' relationship with the Lord has become more intense in view of the people's sin. The people went into idolatry, and so Moses now is intensely making intercession. And then when Moses goes up on the mountain, he says, would you show me your glory? And the Lord says, I can't show you all of my glory. You'll get a partial view. So Moses has gotten a partial view of the glory of the Lord. And Moses' role as a mediator of the covenant has now been enhanced. So for these reasons, apparently, Moses' face is now shining. It is reflecting the glory of the Lord. And uh, so notice that when Moses came down the first time, the narrator said what he saw, what Moses saw. He saw the golden calf. Now he comes down the second time. The narrator does not report what Moses saw. There's no golden calf to see, but he reports what the people see. The people saw Moses' face, and they are afraid. I would say that they are rightly afraid. Because remember, in the book of Exodus, we heard later, I heard earlier in the book of Exodus that God told the people, don't draw near to me. And then when uh, Moses drew near to God, they were only too happy to let Moses go because when the Lord manifested himself in these physical manifestations, the people, such as thunder and lightning, the people trembled. They were afraid. So now they see Moses' appearance has changed. He's reflecting the glory of the Lord, and they are afraid. So fear of the Lord, that is a quite proper thing. Indeed, we should fear the Lord with the knowledge that by all rights, in view of his holiness and our sinfulness, we should be dead. We should be dead. However, if you look at the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews there says, on several occasions, in view of the sacrifice of Christ, the once for all sacrifice of Christ, which cleanses us from sin, he therefore urges us to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Notice the difference. The Lord told them in the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant, don't draw near. Now in the new covenant that Christ has come, and the spirit has come, we'll get to that in a minute, we are encouraged to draw near to God. 
Now, what does Moses do in reaction to all of this? He doesn't know that his face is glowing, at first, anyway. He doesn't have a mirror. He's not coming down the mountain with a mirror Look, whoa, there's that face. What happened to me up there? He doesn't have that experience. It's the people who have that experience. They look at Moses' face and go, whoa, look at that. We haven't seen that before. And they draw back. Now, how is Moses going to react to all of this? In a quite fascinating way. Let's pick up the story, verse 31. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people what, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the, put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here's what's going on. Moses comes down from the mountain. They see that his face is reflecting the glory of the Lord. Moses eventually realizes this, talks to them, and puts the veil over his face after he finishes talking with them. Now, going forward, every time he goes into apparently the tent of meeting to meet with the Lord, he takes off this veil and he speaks with the Lord. And then he comes out of this tent of meeting. This tent of meeting is his personal tent of meeting, not to be confused with the tabernacle, which later in Exodus is also called the tent of meeting. I don't know why they do that to us, but they do. Anyway, he goes into the tent of meeting, comes out of the tent of meeting. He's still unveiled. He speaks to the people the commandments of the Lord, and after he speaks to the people the commandments of the Lord, then he re put, replaces the veil, puts the veil back over his face. So why is Moses doing this veil thing? Clearly, he is not trying to deceive anyone here because every time he comes out from meeting with the Lord, they can see his face. They don't see it all the time, but they see it a lot of the time. When Moses is not acting as a as a mediator of the, of the covenant, that's the thing that changes. When Moses is acting as a mediator of the covenant, therefore, he has the, 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 the veil off and they can see. So he's not trying to deceive them. They can see his face a lot of the time. Neither is there any suggestion in the text that when he goes with the, into the Lord, his face is, is more radiant when he comes out and then it fades or something like that and then he needs to go back in for a fresh dose. There's no suggestion of that in the text. So why is Moses putting this veil over his face? The best explanation is that this is a protective measure. Moses knows the dangers of being exposed to the glory of the Lord. In fact, Mo the Lord has already told the people about the dangers, and he told Moses specifically about the dangers. Moses was on the mountain. He asked to behold the glory of the Lord. The Lord said, no, you're going to get a partial view. If you got a full view... If you saw all the glory of the Lord, you'd be dead because no one sees my face and lives. So Moses takes a protective measure so that he puts the veil over his face part of the time. They get reflected glory and only in limited doses. So Moses is protecting the people from the glory of the Lord. That, in my mind, is the best explanation for what is going on here. So this is the approach that Moses takes 
as a servant of the old covenant. Now you get to the new covenant, and remember, the new covenant comes about by the sacrifice of Christ and then the gift of the Spirit, which comes from the sacrifice of Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes a different approach, and we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. How does Paul go about this as a minister of the new covenant? Verse 7, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory." Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that which is permanent have glory. Since we, that is Paul and the other apostles and the other new covenant ministers, have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. The covenant that came through Moses was being brought to an end right from the start. It was a temporary bridge to get us to the new covenant, which is permanent. So Moses protected the people. They could not gaze intently at him. They could look a little bit at reflected glory, but only in limited doses. Now, with the new covenant, everything changes. So Paul says, I and the other ministers of the new covenant, we are very bold. We're not like Moses. He couldn't be bold. He had to protect people from the glory of the Lord. Now, Paul says, we can be very bold, and we're going to give you the glory of the Lord. That's what Paul does as a minister of the new covenant. Dropping down now to chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this, very interesting. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One of the key verses in the scriptures on spiritual transformation by which we become more like Christ. Now, there's a lot here. Let me try to unpack it for you somewhat briefly. It can be very confusing, but pay attention here. Follow with me, okay? So we all, with unveiled face, no need for a veil anymore. The veil's been done away with. We all, with unveiled face, we can behold the glory of God, right? That's what it says. We can behold the glory of God and that as we are beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image. What image is that? That is the image that we behold. What image do we, do we behold? It is the glory of God. We are being transformed, not literally from one degree of glory to the next. We are being transformed from glory into glory. In other words, we are being transformed from the glory of God to the glory that we become, reflecting the glory of God. How does all of this come about? From the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. Here the Spirit stands in for all of this so that the Spirit allows us to see the glory of the Lord. And and, and as the Spirit allows us to see the glory of the Lord, the Spirit affects our transformation so that we become more like Christ. Stay with me now. So how then do you behold the glory of the Lord? Paul's not finished. Drop down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, light, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts, that would be the hearts of Paul and the apostles and the other ministers of the new covenant, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul is saying. Something's happened in the hearts of these new covenant ministers. They become a new creation. And by the way, we all come become a new creation. And, and what they do then is they give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do you see the glory of God? Face of Jesus Christ. All right. We clear here now? Okay. We get to behold the glory of God. Where do you behold the glory of God? You behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But I got a problem. I can't see the face of Christ. Where is he? I've been looking around. I haven't been able to see him. So what is Paul getting at here? Certainly he cannot mean, as he's talking to these Corinthians or as he's writing to them and he's with them before, that when he came with, to them, that he said, well, you want to know what the face of Jesus looks like? I'm going to produce him for you right here. Snap my fingers and boom, there's Jesus. Now, look at his face, okay? Look at his eyes, his eyebrows, look at his expression. No, of course he didn't do anything like that. In fact, in all of his writings, he never actually describes what Jesus looks like. We know next to nothing what Jesus looked like, except for some visions and some glorified states that we see him in. We almost know, we almost know nothing about what he looked like. So what can Paul possibly mean when he's speaking to them and then to us about beholding the face of Christ? If you look at the context of 2 Corinthians, it goes like this. He expects them to see the face of Christ as he presents the gospel to them. So they see the, the face of Christ figuratively as he presents the good news to them. That is the good news of God's victory over evil, which features this forgiveness of sins. So he wants them to believe the gospel, savor the gospel. He wants us to believe the gospel, savor the gospel, appreciate the gospel, grow in our appreciation of the gospel. And therefore, we can thereby behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here's a few other suggestions. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, if you want to know what his face looks like, figuratively speaking, read the Gospels. The Gospel writers give us a portrait, so to speak, of Jesus. Not literally, of course, but you get the idea reading through all of this and you read about him when he's angry, when he's loving, when he's compassionate, you get some idea of what his face looked like, but that's not the important thing because you get some idea of what he is like. And speaking of his face, we don't know what his face looked like, but we know this. When he was dragged before the Sanhedrin, his enemies spit in his face. So we know that at one point his face was covered with spit. We also know this. The Roman soldiers placed a crown of thorns on his head. And our text doesn't say this, but you can use your imagination, right? What happens when you place a crown of thorns on someone's head? There is blood dripping down. So we can use our imaginations and behold the face of Christ with spit 
covering his face and blood dripping down. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. And Pilate, the Roman governor, after he had Jesus flogged and after his enemies spit in Jesus' face and after they placed the crown of thorns on his head, brought him out and said to the enemies of Jesus, behold the man. Indeed, behold the man. Use your imagination to behold Christ. So it is a simple spiritual law that we become like that which we worship. Psalm 115, verse eight says this, those who make them, speaking of idolaters and those who create idols, those who make them will become like them. So do all who trust in them. So what do you worship? Or what do you attend to? Who or what do you worship? A few years ago, a guy by the name of Tim Wu who uh, I think is a legal scholar. He wrote a book called The Attention Merchants. And uh, two fellows uh, in a book review wrote a review of the book and they said this. We become what we attend to, nothing more, nothing less. A steady and exclusive stream of reality TV, entertainment, gossip, social media chatter, and breaking news about the latest celebrity scandal or Trump's most recent tweets back when he was tweeting all endlessly cycling into each other turns us into the bland clickbait of the attention harvesters. Yet, though we justifiably consider the enslavement of bodies a terrible wrong, we willingly surrender our minds for the profit of others. This new, almost hip kind of slavery is sought, not fought. What are you worshiping? What are you attending to? As Paco Lopez says, our high school pastor, if you spend a lot of time in coffee houses, you're gonna end up smelling like coffee. If you spend a lot of time doing what these guys are saying people are doing, you're becoming something like bland clickbait. What are you worshiping? What do you attend to? How about worshiping Christ? How about worshiping the one true God through Jesus Christ. How about beholding Christ and becoming more like Christ? Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Behold the face of Christ. And as we do that, according to the scriptures, we are being conformed into the image of Christ, which means that we are being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. For after all, Jesus came not to, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So that song that we used to sing in the youth group, one of the verses goes like this. Have you ever stood at the cross with a man hanging in pain, seen the look of love in his eyes? And then I say, my friend, you've seen Jesus, my Lord. Stand at the cross, use your imagination, behold the man, see the look of love in his eyes. A few years ago, we preached a series here 
called PBC DNA. And uh, when we did that, I was referring to the Second Corinthians passage. I preached through that. And I used this quote from Larry Crabb back then. I'm going to use it again now because I think it's germane to what we're talking about now. He was a, Crabb was a psychologist and he was a writer who was a strong believer and he was a preacher. And he was talking about how he was preaching at one particular conference. And afterwards, this man came up to him to have a conversation. And here's what the man said to him. Dr. Crabb, I am 84 years old. Five years ago, my wife died after 51 years of a good marriage. I cannot express the pain that I feel every morning as I drink my coffee at the kitchen table alone. I have begged God to relieve the terrible loneliness that I feel. He has not answered my prayer. The ache in my heart has not gone away, but, and here Crab comments, and here the gentleman paused and looked past me as he continued, God has given me something far better than relief for my pain, Dr. Crab. He has given me a glimpse of Christ. And it's worth it all. Whenever you preach, make much of Christ. What do you want? Relief from pain? It's a good thing to want. It's a good thing to pray for. But watch what happens as you pray for that. Watch and see if you get a glimpse of Christ. Because a glimpse of Christ is worth it all. A glimpse of Christ transcends whatever pain we're going through. And God just might give it to you in the middle of your pain. So use your imagination to behold the face of Christ. Is there a, is there a more concrete way that we can behold the face of Christ that doesn't require us to use our imagination? And I think there is. Think of this. We constitute the body of Christ. Those who believe in Christ are the body of Christ here on earth. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are even his face. So therefore, I think we can behold the face of Christ as we look into the faces of our brothers and sisters. We can behold the face of Christ as we look into the faces of our brothers and sisters. The song that we sang in the youth group, one of the verses went like this. Have you ever stood in the family with the Lord there in your midst, seen the look of Christ on your brother? Then I say, my friend, you've seen Jesus, my Lord. Many years ago when I was training for ministry, I went on a retreat with all of these other men and women who were training for ministry. And one of the things that we did at this retreat was we all shared our stories. And I don't think at that point in my life I had ever shared my story with the group from start to finish. So that's what I did. I had the opportunity to do that. So I shared the whole story, the joyous parts and the sorrowful parts. And when I finished, I was emotionally exhausted. I was drained. I was sitting in my chair. I was looking down, looking down at my feet. I didn't know what to do really at that point. And then I noticed that there were some shoes in front of me belonging to some feet, belonging to a person. And this brother had walked across the room. I hadn't noticed it until I noticed his shoes in front of me. He was standing right in front of me. And then I looked up and he was just inches away from me. His face was right next to mine. Now, do you remember the sermon that Paul Taylor preached a couple weeks ago in which he talked about this? Well, he showed a clip from Seinfeld called The Close Talker. 
Some of you will remember that. This brother was about that close, but there were some important differences. I looked into his face and his eyes were red and moist and tears were coming down his face. And he didn't say a word. He just looked into my eyes. Obviously, he had been moved by my story and he wanted to offer his compassion. And all he did was walk across the room and look into my eyes. Now, I'm sure eventually we began having some sort of conversation, probably about what I had just shared, but I have no memory of what we talked about. But I will never forget the look on his face. I saw the look of Christ on my brother. Now, some of you may wonder, how do we go about deciding what text to preach here at PBC? Mostly we preach from the biblical text. Sometimes we do topical. We supplement our expository preaching with topical preaching. But by and large, what you get is a sermon from some text as you are getting this morning. How do we decide that? Well, we go on a retreat with the pastors and elders and we, we pray about it and, we, and, and people kind of say, I like this, I like that. And eventually something emerges and we, we, we decide based on that usually what to preach, generally speaking. But we don't go for too long without actually deciding, you know, we got to do something from the gospels here. We've got to do something from the gospels. Especially around Advent and Lent, we will end up doing something from the gospels because we want you to get to see Jesus. We want to get to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And you will notice that even when we are preaching from the Hebrew scriptures, as, as I am today, that oftentimes we'll eventually get to the New Testament, we'll get to the Gospels, we'll get to Christ because it's all about Jesus. We want you to see Jesus and be transformed in the seeing and in the worshiping. So Jesus says this to his opponents in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. We search the scriptures looking for Jesus, and when we find Jesus, we give him to you. We preach Jesus into the church. I can't heal you. Paul Taylor can't heal you. Dan Westman can't heal you. None of the pastors and elders can do any healing whatsoever. It is Jesus Christ who heals so what do we do? We preach him into the church. We preach him into the world. We pray him into the church. We pray him into the world. We search the scriptures looking for Christ. And that's the same thing that you should do as well. Because it is Jesus Christ, his eternal love that can affect the healing and the transformation needed in your hearts. We make much of Christ because a glimpse of Christ is worth it all. So we can behold the glory of God, where? In the face of Christ. But is that the whole story? No, there's more to come. We get more of the glory of the Lord, obviously, than they got in the old covenant. But do we get it all yet, all the time? No, because Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that right now we kind of see through a mirror dimly, but one day when Christ comes back, we're going to see face to face. Now listen to this from the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, 
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're still being transformed. But we know that when he appears, that is when Christ appears, when he comes back, when he returns to consummate the kingdom, we will be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. You get the idea that if you could actually see him as he is right now, all the time, boom, you're transformed. But one day, that's going to happen for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And if you do not yet believe, you need to put your faith into Jesus Christ. Then you will see him face to face. Now, to a certain degree, later, completely, and what a glorious day that is going to be. Until then, behold the face of Christ. In the gospel, in the gospels, using your imagination, and in the faces of one another. I said at the outset that as I was looking around, looking to behold the face of Christ, that I could not see him. And you know what? I was looking in the wrong place, as if he's going to be up here somewhere. You know where I can see him? I'm looking out at the faces of my brothers and my sisters, and I see them looking back at me. And I see the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It all comes down to this. There were some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. They were hanging around a little bit. They were going to some of the festivals, and they approached Philip, one of Jesus' disciples. And, then, and they said to Philip, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Would you please stand? Indeed, Lord Jesus, we wish to see you, and we know, Holy Spirit, that you can show him to us. So we ask that you would do that now. Thank you so much, Jesus, for coming. Thank you so much for sending your spirit. Thank you so much, Spirit, for your incredible ministry among us by which we can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you become like that which you worship, we have the opportunity now to worship God. Let's worship God as he is revealed in Jesus Christ. Behold the man upon 